0: Take it another step in another direction. Now turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter twelve, because when we think in terms of the Trinity, when we think in terms of the greatness of this Person of Christ, we need to clearly understand the real evidence, the real proof. Sometimes might surprise us. John chapter twelve, we look at verse thirty-one through thirty-four. John chapter twelve. 31 through 34. Jesus said, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd, they speak of, We have heard that the law. From the law, that the Christ will remain forever. So, how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, You are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he's going. Put your trust in the light while you have it, so that you may be sons of life. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and he hid himself from them. It is certainly a mystery to believe that the one who walked this earth in Jesus Christ is God. It might stretch, as I mentioned, it might be difficult for us to grasp, it might be hard for us to uh, begin to truly appreciate the beauty or the majesty of who he is, but it is even a greater mystery that if in fact he is God, that he is a man who is going to be crucified. It is much more difficult to us to believe that God has been nailed to a cross. It is much more difficult to believe that in his greatness he steps down than in his holiness he proves that he's something. No wonder why many among the crowds, because they did not understand his identity, they saw his miracles, they believed in his power, but they said, it must be the devil. It must be some other means, some other source. Many people marveled over the power of Jesus Christ and the authority over the forces of evil and he held, and certainly even the glory of his own resurrection, but most powerful evidence of his true identity is not the strength of His mighty arms, it's in the submission of His will. It's His willingness, in all of His greatness, to stoop down and be accused and to be betrayed and to be condemned and beaten and ultimately nailed to the cross. It's important to understand, to cherish the beauty of the Trinity, we might find ourselves fascinated with all that Jesus was able to do, yet the marvelous plan of salvation and the beauty of His greatness is not in the strength of His arms, it is in the humbleness of His heart. That this one goes to the cross, he takes your His strength is seen in His very humiliation. The Trinity, the beauty of the Trinity is not so much our preservation of how high he is, it's the cherished
1: preservation of how the highest has spooked down. And that's the real power
0: that we must consider we think in terms of what difference does it make for someone say it's too difficult to understand the Trinity, it's too hard to try to put the pieces together, it's too much detail and too much of an intellectual exercise Rather than simply taking the truth that God has given by I trust It's not simply I can figure it out. It's that the truth is it has brought me down to my knees. That's the power of God. That's the evidence of his great work in our lives. How could the creator of the universe die at the hands of his own creatures?
1: How could the judge
0: of all humanity be? condemned to die by the one he promised to set free? How could the one who saved others not be able to save himself? Here lies the mystery. It's one thing to become a follower of Jesus Christ because of everything he can do for us. It is a completely, entirely, totally different faith that follows Jesus because he made himself nothing. Philippians chapter two verses six through eight says, "He emptied himself, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He found an appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross." The power of the Trinity is not the proof of the miracles He can perform. The power of the Trinity is how He can take the most proud and bring them to the lowest position. How he take us in all of our human, in, uh, our human tendencies to excel, or want to reach up, or to attain, or to have, or to grasp, and bring us to a place where we are fully content and devoted to serve one who walked through his life looking like he lost, but having an abiding hope that my champion will soon return. It's an
1: entirely
0: different dynamic of the Trinity to value His greatness by the cross.
1: And that's what we want to, to look at. We
0: talked about last week a little bit about the beauty of His powerful miracles and the signs and wonders He's able to perform. Today we want to look at the significance of
1: calling to the
0: more greater aspect of the Trinity, particularly what does it have to do with you and I? First John chapter 4. Let's uh, turn there to the first letter of John, and we back in the book of Revelation. We need to, again, talk about a mystery, because behind the mystery of the Trinity is the mystery of a changed life. Behind the beauty of all that Christ did is the beauty of how you and I become a different kind of person. Our salvation, not only our salvation from the debt of sin against our account, but the power of sin broken in our lives. Is uniquely associated with the awe and wonder of the one who gave all. The real power of Christ's manifestation is at work in those who gaze not so much upon what he's capable of doing, it's what he chose to not do. So
1: that cross could be the emblem of our strength, our hope, and our ultimate victory. First John chapter 4. As we mentioned uh, in
0: the uh,
1: the Apostle John is, is attempting to communicate to a second generation of Christianity. The first generation had come as witnesses
0: of the message of life. They had seen Jesus. They observed his miracles. They uh, either experienced blessings upon their own life, or their parents certainly did. So you've got the second generation of Christianity is rising up, and they're losing focus upon what he did but certainly driving towards a new world of opportunities that was extremely deceptive and misleading. John chapter, 1 John chapter 4, I'll read verses 1 through 3. Dear friends, not believe every spirit will test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ is has come in the flesh, is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. The apostle was burdened to communicate in the beauty of truth that sometimes the best of us have our hand in the wrong cookie jar. That sometimes the best of us as much as we would love to be like in all that Jesus did and continues to do and made, we would desire him to do, we must realize that the Antichrist is constantly at work to get the Trinity to break down. Not simply just the Trinity that you and I question the sacred truths, it's the application of what difference does it make. Obviously, I think many of us are... uh, have been walking with the Lord, long enough to know that if you answer the right questions the right way, the devil isn't going to get too excited. What he gets excited about is your life gets in the right place. Because the real power of Christianity is not going to be an intellectual test we take. It's whether or not we have walked the way of the cross. It's whether or not we have stepped into the beauty of being changed because we too, have allowed ourselves to be humbled and associated with the humble one. As we take in terms of this, is what's taking place is, is there was the rise after uh, Christianity was beginning to be uh, more established, the church was beginning to grow, was beginning to be founded, disciples were being made, and then there's those that come along got a word from God. There's more power. There's more promises. There's more blessings. John says, be careful. John says, be careful. The power is in the cross. And that's what we're going to look at as we consider the beauty of the unfolding of of, of working through these things because that's what John's gospel is written for. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John can get you the right answers and you might have some kind of a conclusion about the following the Savior is to imitate his power and John's gospel drives that it is to imitate his humiliation it's to meet Jesus at the cross it's to find that the beauty of Christ is more about him stepping down than him simply flexing his muscles and proving that he is really uh, somebody out there as we look in here we, we follow along as we read in First John chapter 4 Because what John is writing to is referred to, particularly in verses 5 and 6 of 1 John chapter 4. Verse 5, it says, they are from the world, and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. John is saying that the Antichrist has an enormous way, or the spirit of deception has an enormous way, of bringing a person to not only desire worldly things, but to live with a mentality that that is the right answer. He goes on to say, in contrast in verse 6, that we, in contrast to they, are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. Now that might seem a little arrogant on John's part, to say that the way we know truth is like me standing before you and saying, those who follow me, you're of the truth, and those that don't follow me, you're of the lie. And yet that's exactly what John is saying. What John is saying is we have been given the apostolic authority. We have been entrusted with the truths about Jesus Christ. We have been not only told about the beauty of the Trinity, we touched the guy. We ate with this guy. We looked into his eyes. We heard Him. We watched Him suffer and we watched Him die. And then He rose again. We have seen Him alive. The focus of the faith is in the person of Jesus Christ. And what He has accomplished in the beauty of that cross is what forges our life, it shapes our life, and empowers our life. It is in the aspect that the followers would not want to hear another voice. They want to hear from John and Peter and James, and later on the Apostle Paul, that these truths which are in God's Word, these are the ones you can trust. We are different than they, in verses 5 and 6. And that's what he's talking about, is the evidence of a real credible connection with Jesus Christ, is that we have found that his humiliation is our greatest focus and joy, is that we have on the author and perfect perfecter of our faith for well, the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Our focus is the cross of Jesus Christ. It is, it will be, and always continues to be. So he attempts to communicate to uh, those followers the importance of distinguishing between the antichrist and the true Christ. That which is the faith and that which is the true. It's important to recognize that though we believe that Nothing is impossible with God, yet we believe that when supernatural things are presented to us, our tendency is to connect power with Jesus Christ. His greatest power is in not his ability to perform, his greatest power is his willingness to set it all aside. That's the message that you and I have been granted is the security and assurance of our lives. The Antichrist loves the front row seat, he loves the
1: flashing lights, he loves the mysterious experiences, he
0: loves to be heard and seen and admired. All throughout the scripture, the Antichrist comes with drawing attention of those whose hearts are fixed on Christ to begin to look to what he might want to do. So the scripture warns us about that. Jesus certainly has has the power to outperform the enemy. But he warns us that those who follow fake Christ uh, is certainly different than that which follows the truth about Christ. He goes on to say they are from the world,
1: but we are from
0: God and the evidence is that the spirit of truth begins to give a clarity and direction to our lives. Go here in Hebrews chapter 1. We'll jump back there. Hebrews chapter 1. Again, as we think in terms of the Trinity, we say, what difference does it make? We need to recognize that the pattern that is presented and the way it's presented lays the foundation for you and I to be recipients of what God is doing. God did not come to a place in history where he realized, oops, it didn't work, so he starts over again.
1: Some may give that impression, they hold to that kind of teaching, as if the old
0: covenant is no longer livable, so we go to the new covenant as if we've got a new plan, a new purpose, a new agenda. That's not what the Bible teaches. Hebrews chapter one, one through four. But what has changed? That's the beauty of the trinity is the trinity communicates to us that Jesus is God. But what has changed is the distinction of that role. And that's what
1: we attempt to see
0: in scriptures like this in Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Now in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by himself, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. Notice the three the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became. As one superior to the angels, as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. As we think in terms of uh, all that Jesus Christ has done, we are well aware, having been versed in Scripture, of the fact that Jesus came and emptied himself of his glory. It's not that he became less God. It's that he simply took his desire or grasp upon showing himself as God so that he could show himself a humble, crucified man. He still had the power to, at any point, uh, save himself, but he chose not to save himself so that he could save you and I. There are many things that I think it's clear to us that Jesus did not have the inability to do it differently It's just that he chose to set aside his will for the will of the heavenly Father. It's important that our view of the Trinity, we might recognize that we indeed are children of God. What comes with that is many blessings. What comes with that is many privileges. What comes with that is many promises. And the way we look at the Trinity is I'll set aside that which I could have so that I can become who He wants me to be. The application of the Trinity is the precious opportunity for you and I to say, I don't need it all so that I can become everything He wants me to be. This is the message of the cross. This is the coupling place where you and I to come to choose to be more focused on Christ's majesty and Christ's glory and his name lifted up. Even if mine looks like it does not become what it ought to be, let's look at these scriptures uh, in First Peter, or I'm sorry, First Corinthians, chapter one and verse eighteen. Again, think in terms of the power. Many times, if we immediately uh, talk about the power of Jesus Christ. We're not so much going to readily think about the cross. We're going to think about his miracles. We're going to think about his teaching with all authority. We're going to think about the demons being blasted. We're going to think about him walking on the water and speaking to the, the sea so that the wind and the waves lie down. But the scriptures are clear. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who but us who are being saved is the power. It's important. The power isn't so much in seeing the strength of God. God. It is seen in the transformation of your life and mine. It's the power of God that is displayed in the emphasis upon the cross. Look at chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. We look at verses 22 and 23. Jews demand the miraculous signs, and Greeks they look for wisdom. But we, in verse 23, preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to those looking for miracles, and it's foolishness to those looking for words of wisdom. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. I trust the beauty of the Trinity is not to be analyzed and explained. The beauty of the Trinity is that you and I might humbly walk with the attitude that the cross is the most important component not only in what Jesus did for us but it's the most important component in what determines where you and I go through life. And that's something that we cherish we hold dear to is uh, as the Apostle Paul concludes in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, uh, verse 2. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. power is in our truth is in why Jesus literally came. Obviously he came, and he expressed himself in one kind of miracle or another, in one kind of sign and wonder or another. But trust me, he could have done a lot bigger firework show than you and I did. He could have printed across the sky. He could have made an absolute mockery of the devil. But his purpose
1: was to cross Is the key. So the devil seems to run
0: as if he's still in charge, but to us who've been to the cross, greater is he that's in me and he that's in the world. The victory we have doesn't look like we're such champions, but the victory is I was lost, now found; I was blinded, now see. My life has been changed. I go through life, going through all the bumps, the bruises, the heartaches, the disappointments, the setbacks that I know my Redeemer lives. I know that I will see Him again. And that is the beauty of the richness of our faith, is that we are a people that are anchored and settled and established upon the cross. And as much as we talk about all that Christ is and his, His true identity as God, the real identity is Him in us. Crucified. We are... Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It's interesting that many of the apostles suffered uh, as martyrs of the cross of Jesus Christ. And many of the means of ways in which they uh, lost their lives had something to do with the cross. The significance was that they were so identified with the crucified one. But this became the real form of mockery and humiliation in those years of persecution is because they wanted to uh, make fun of a dead man who claims to be alive. Now we know the truth. The stone that rolled away. He has his grace of the dead. He truly lives. But the way the world knows he's alive is you and me, having Christ in us. The secret to the message of life is that we have come to this uh, same meaning. The cross is the power of God. And the cross at work in our lives is the secret to a changed life. And you and I are a people who have been indeed crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live, but it's Christ who lives within me. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We find that even as the Apostle Paul has come to a point in his life, a season in which he realizes not only has he spent a significant part of his ministry,
1: looking like
0: he's losing because he's in prison. But a lot of his ministry was attempting to defend the faith because there were many false apostles free, and he's in prison. He says, the evidence, he speaks, as the devil has seemingly gotten the best of him, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 down through 10, to keep me from uh, becoming of becoming conceited, the Apostle writes, because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest upon me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in here, weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's not that the Apostle Paul is beginning to lose his mind when people accuse accused of that very thing, but he is so identified with Christ, the one who was falsely accused, and being beaten for things that he has not done any wrong, and being humiliated and nailed the cross as an innocent man, Paul says, my badge of honor, the verification that I'm on the right path is it's happening to me. Jesus said, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. They've insulted me, they're going to insult you. You and I need to recognize the real evidence of the power of Christ is not in the strength of what his ability is to perform, the real power is whether or not we've come to the cross, and we are not the same people. It has brought us down. It has broken us to pieces. But we are a new people, raised from, in essence, the dead, because the living Christ now lives within me. These are the evidences. These are the the trademarks of being associated with Jesus Christ. The real power is that I'm not the same person I once was, that he had brought me to a place where I am a new creation in Christ.
1: Now the mystery of the
0: Trinity, as I mentioned, uh, certainly can remind us of the miracles and powers of Jesus, but the Trinity, the beauty of him stepping down, more so than him somehow rising to the occasion, is the purpose and plan is is why Jesus uh, came. It's clear to us through many, many scriptures, that Jesus came to God. He came to give His life. His reason for coming to this earth is not to show how great He is. His purpose for coming is to step down and take the blow, so salvation will reach someone else. As you and I journey through life, we not only find our identity with Christ at the cross, but that becomes the same message we give to the world around us. We do not save ourselves so that someone else can be saved. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. We simply pull our thoughts together. What difference does it make about the Trinity? Uh, There was the second generation and the third generation after that that began to consider that Jesus cannot really be flesh.
1: Because flesh is evil so we see many religious systems rise up that if you can abuse the body, that you will now be whole. There were teachings that came out of the distortion of the Trinity. In essence, what it says is there's no power that can change your flesh. That is why it's important to understand that the purpose that Jesus came is to take this flesh as
0: broad as it is, as simple as it is, and let it go to the cross, It can be transformed. It can be redeemed. It can be sanctified. It can be holy before God. The power of the cross brings us to a place where those that bombarded the Trinity was a devil's theme to basically say that if you are in the flesh, you've got to just accept the fact that I'm only human. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches Christ in you. That's the victory. I can do all things to Christ, whose strength is me. It's the indwelling, abiding presence of Christ that is able. The other flip side of the argument was that Jesus isn't really God. He's just a big miracle the worker. The temptation might be is, oh, I like that side of Jesus. That's what I want. And off we go pursuing who we can become or what we can do for God rather than whom God To do in us. The Trinity, as sacred as it is, the power is in the cross. The Trinity is more about Jesus coming down than Jesus flexing his muscles up. And the secret to the life that God has called us to is to ensure we are not trying to look good,
1: we're trying to make him look really
0: good. We're not trying to get a name for ourselves. We only want one name to be mentioned, and that is Jesus Christ. We want it to be about Him. We want the glory to go to Him. We, like John the Baptist, I'm just a voice. I'm passing through. I must decrease. He must increase. It's a life about Jesus Christ, and it's entirely different. Galatians chapter two and verse. the greatest position we have is being a servant rather than a king. Father, we pray lot as we look at the beauty of your word. We trust that as you reveal it, we will take it. As you told it, we will receive it. We pray that you forgive us for the times that we've added and subtracted from your word. Those times that we've wanted to bend it and manipulate some kind of thought that we have. We pray most importantly that your word would produce light in us and for the light we have we lay it all down for our kingdom. Teach us, Lord, about your glory and may your name be lifted by thank you, Lord. For not only what you've done in our life but now we pray as we anticipate more fully your purpose and plan for us. We might step into that identity Walk with heads held In Jesus' name. Thank you. Thank you.